Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Ben, you and I have been talking about doing this for a while, and I'm so excited with this roundtable that we have assembled in the studio right now. We are about to break out a bovine roundtable for you, and we have the right specialists. So here's how this came together. A buddy of mine that lives uh, one neighborhood over invited me over for steaks one night. Our kids are friends, and we had met before through our buddy Bacon, who lives down the street. My neighbor? My neighbor. And so we were like, all right, let, let's get together. So Hold get, on, you have a friend named Bacon? Uh, yeah, he's sitting right there over your right shoulder. Man, that guy's got to be the coolest guy of all time to be named Bacon. Don't eat that guy. You don't waste that nickname. No, you, you don't. You only give it to the best. You don't you, give it to do just you, anybody. Do you see his shirt? Bacon! It says Bacon on Hell it. yes. Now, that is the voice of Ian Hastings. Ian is my neighbor. And uh, I went to we went to dinner over at his house, and he started talking about what he was doing. I was like, "It's the most interesting thing I've heard in my life." So, Ian, before we go further, tell everyone what it is that you do and who you do it for. So, I'm a strategic accounts manager for Cargill, and I work with the largest cow calf operations and feedlots that are corporate partners with Cargill here in North America, here in the United States, and Canada. Okay, and just so you know, if you're listening, you say he said corporate partner. He's wearing a cowboy hat. He's wearing a shirt with pearly buttons, jeans, and boots. So that's not too corporate, but in this case, it's corporate. That would be correct. All right. <laughs> so we're sitting there talking that night. He's like, you know, uh, we got to go do the Steak 101 class over at Local Yoko. I was like, oh, my God, Ben lives at Local Yoko. I mean, how often do you go by there and get meats? Uh, I try to go as much as I can. I mean, when I when I had those giant bone-in ribeyes, it was five pounds of meat, and I was clapping them together, and that's one of the most watched things I've had on Instagram. That's local yokel. And then I was telling Gavin, anytime I'm anywhere near McKinney, I'm going to local yokel. Okay, well, standing to my right, your left on the radio dial is the man behind local yokel, the great Matt Hamilton, who ran that Steak 101 class I went to, and I was like, this has got to happen on our radio. Welcome, well, Matt. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you guys having us on. Glad to got to come down and talk more meat with you. Absolutely. Man, the way he ran this class, it was, it was just incredible. There's three stages to it. My favorite part is we went back into the, the butcher shop part of the operation and he showed us every cut of meat and the name of it and the whole history behind it. And it got me real excited. And so I was talking to him, I was like, man, we got to get you guys in studio. He goes, well, if we do that, we need one more guy. And he is to my left. You're right on the radio dial. He is Dr. Dusty Abney. Hello, good doctor. How are you? Howdy. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. And you've got, you're from Texas Tech. Well, you're not, you, you weren't born there. You went to college there. I got three degrees from there. So three de- are they Roger. are they called beef degrees? Uh, animal science was All the right. way we put it. I, I tell people I'm triple inbred red raider. And I'm from East Texas, so maybe it's quadruple. Right. Texas Tech is always the national champion. And not only that, you are were at one point during your Texas Tech stay the quote unquote masked red raider. Or well, masked rider. We say masked rider. Okay. I don't mean to be pedantic, but that is kind of my job to be pedantic. So I will be because technically correct is the best kind of correct. So I was the mask rider <laughs> in the 1998-99 school year. What That's does that incredible. entail? 
Uh, that entails going to every goat roping and county fair within about a 400-mile radius of Lubbock. <laughs> and That's going to all the football games and, and everything that goes with that. It was an outstanding experience. Well, gentlemen, thank you so much <laughs> for being a part of this. We have a lot of questions. If you guys disagree on something, you can start yelling at each other. We're okay with that. I know we're all fiery individuals in here. So, Ben, where is the first place that you would like to get started on our expansive bovine roundtable? Now, I, I went to Texas Tech. I didn't graduate from there because I had too much fun. So, you got three <laughs> degrees out of that place. I got none. I, mean, I got three semesters out of it. Average between us, though. Uh, one that, and that's half. right. That's we're averaging average. one You guys are smart as hell and really learned. Um, so, uh, but uh, you, you, you were at Texas Tech. So, we have this drop we play on the show that Texas Tech is, is always, always the, the national, national champion. champion. And we were like, what in the hell are they talking about? And because and, we're like, it's not basketball. It's not baseball. It's not football. What are they talking about? They're talking about you, aren't they? Weren't they? Is are they talking about the the meat program there at Texas Tech? What is that? Well, now I didn't go through the meat program. Yeah, we got a little sidetracked there on what I did while I was there. I ran a, I, I ran there. a unsuccessful meat program during my three semesters. <laughs> <laughs> now watch as I change the subject very subtly. There you go. Uh, I, I'm actually a beef cattle nutritionist. I okay. specialize in cow calf and stalker operations. I work with Ian. So okay, uh, we joke that he's my nerd pimp. So. Uh, <laughs> That's, that, that's that's what true. I do. He's got several of us, so I'm I'm a member of the nerd herd, and uh, so I study beef cattle nutrition there at Texas Tech. Well, do you? I know Ian travels a bunch. Do you travel as much as Ian? Do you guys travel together? How does your job uh, work with one another? Until the TSA uh, had some things to say about us traveling together too much, we do travel together quite a bit. It just depends on what's going on and where we need to be and and uh, where we are in a relationship with the customer. If it's new, uh, then then the Dusty and Ian show goes on the road and and. Uh, if it, right. if it's been there a while, then they don't need to see both of us at once. This is this is such an amazing honor for us to have all you guys here. So many of our listeners, us, we all barbecue. We all consider ourselves steak masters on the grill and whatnot, brisket. Here's what I want to know from you guys. I have this argument with my wife, and she believes, that, and don't feel compelled to get her side in this, just because <laughs> I said that out loud. She talks about going to places like Costco and buying steaks and stuff there, and I talk about going to a place like a local yokel. I, you know, it's a little bit more expensive, but there's the extra marbling. And I feel like even if you overcook a steak from local yokel, it's still perfect. If you overcook a steak from a different place, from a grocery store, man, it gets real bad real quick. And so that's at least my perception. And so my question is, how much of a difference is there in quality from the steaks you would get at a large grocery chain versus what you would get at a top-notch farm-to-market to you know, type yeah. grocer. Your wife's right. There's no difference between the steaks you buy at Costco and the steaks you buy at local yokel, except uh, we know the genetic history of our cattle for the last 80 to 150 years. Hmm. We know the birth uh, ranch. We know the birth date. We know the weaning date. We know their uh, average daily gain the entire time we had them. Uh, we know the minute they were harvested and they've been in our possession the entire time. We know all the drugs they were never given. We know if they were ever doctored on what day they were doctored, what they were given. But other than that, it's the same. Yes. <laughs> okay. So hold on. Same. pull that. I'm gonna dunk on my wife with that. And this is where this is or where you just buy meat off of a truck. Same thing. <laughs> you know dude. the guy on the side of the road, twenty dollars, twenty dollars. Same thing. We just saw that. I know. And dude, this is what you need to explain because your wife is all about healthy eating. What Matt is basically telling everybody. Yeah, you can get that steak or you can get the healthy steak. We're not serving you bad beef. We're serving you the right kind of beef. Right. Well, so we're focused on. As little drugs, drug drugs are bad. So we're trying to stay away from from subtherapeutic antibiotics, stay away from beta agonist growth regulators. 
What we focus on is heart-healthy omega-3 fats. We do that via genetics with our Wagyu program and through the forage program with our grass-fed, grass-finished. So cattle on pasture tend to produce higher levels of uh, omega-3 heart-healthy monosaturated fats, as do the Wagyu genetically. So that combined with, you know, when you go to the grocery store, you just don't know what you're getting. So ground beef, scary as, as heck, right? But you don't know, you just don't know what you're getting. When you go to a restaurant, sometimes you really don't know what you're getting because there's a lot of fun games that can be played there where they run steaks through a needle machine where they're injected, they're brined. You've got uh, grocery store ground beef can can have shelf life extenders. You know, there's some a lot of a lot of fun games that can be played with uh, with with beef. I had a lady ask me a very great question Saturday. She goes, "I hear what you're saying. I really you're preaching good, cowboy. <laughs> can we really feed America on what you're doing?" And I say, "Yes, we can." Ian agrees with me. I say, "Yes, we can." But America, guess what? Got to quit being cheap SOBs. You got to quit quit being the cheapest country in the world. You can't ask those guys over there to do what I do and show up and get nine ninety nine a pound ribeyes. All right, it it just it's gonna you're gonna cost more. So if you you look at other first world countries spending fourteen to seventeen percent of their disposable income on groceries, and America's coming in at nine and a half percent, cheap food costs somebody somewhere. And a big thing that I'm about, unfortunately, it costs our farmers and ranchers producing food for America below cost since 1930. It costs the the consumer in things that we do in our system to deliver cheaper groceries. Mm-hmm. So just just ask for something better. I'll produce it. These guys will produce it. Ask for cheaper product, which is what we fast for in this country. We'll produce it. We just need to educate the consumer to ask for something better. I want to hear, the, counter, I hear the counterpoint on that. Well, I, I would just say there that, that I agree with Matt on a lot of his points. I would reiterate that we have the safest, most wholesome food supply in the world. Says USDA. Oh, shots they, fired. They that's, know, like the, the, that's a favorite. Hi, I'm with the USDA. We had the, fa- chief, the safest, cheapest food supply in the world. <laughs> and it's I his job to, to say that. that. I don't that's always a, agree with the government on stuff, but I do agree with them on that. And I, the, the great thing about our beef cattle industry in the United States and about our market in the United States is that choice is there for the consumer. And I think that's what's really important. Wherever you choose to spend your food dollar, whether that be at local Yoko with Matt because you want a product that's got a specific group of specifications with it, or whether your budget tells you that you can't quite do that, uh, then maybe you need to go back and, and look a little bit different at what you're spending on your product and what you're getting out of it. I want our consumers to be informed. I want them to know the differences between what we can and can't do. Uh, but if you if you look at our industry in the last 100 years, we can, we can move with the market, and we have moved with the markets. You know, we produce a leaner animal than we did 50 years ago because the American consumer said we want leaner cuts of beef, and so we gave them that. We may have overdone that because really lean cuts of beef Agreed. are not really great. Agreed. They don't taste True. really great. True. Right? Phobia is over. That's so why I want that marbling. Bacon. The marbling, right? Well, that's right. 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 Yeah. So, yeah. so I think that there's a place in our market for every consumer, uh, and I want that consumer to have the product that they want to have. Okay, here's what we're going to do coming up. we got a lot of questions. Uh, people want to know, do you need to be eating grass-fed beef, quote-unquote grass-fed beef? We need to talk about different cuts of steak. We talk about a lot of this stuff, and we're going to do it next. We have our bovine roundtable going on right here on the Ben and Skin Show, 105.3 The Fan. Right in the middle of our bovine roundtable, I got my buddy and my buddy Matt and my buddy Dusty. We're all here chopping it up. 
Ben and Skin Show, 105.3 The Fan. Let's get right back into this. Uh, we were talking to Gavin Dawson earlier today, and he had a couple of questions, and some of them are really good. And this conversation just broke out during the break. And Matt, we're you made the the analogy: not everybody can drive a Lamborghini, right? Yeah, you know, we're what we're doing at Local Yokel. Back where we left off is we we are we're a very niche program. So we are a we're a Lamborghini, we're a Ferrari. That's not for everyone, and I do it absolutely acknowledge that we need to produce some Kias, and and that's could be uh, with with a genetic program uh, that doesn't take five hundred days on feed like Wagyu, hmm. or <laughs> a grass fed pro, our grass fed program, which is twenty four to thirty months of age versus sixteen month eighteen month old uh, traditional produced commodity cattle. So there, I absolutely agree that the there's there's got to be a price point for a for a wide range of people. Another thing I think we should do is let's pay a little bit more for money, money for beef, and consume a little bit less. Well, okay, that that's that's a great point of this is like we don't have to be as gluttonous as we are in general. But I like this question from Gavin, and I'll, I'll throw it over to you, Ian. What are the cuts that you can go cheap on, quote unquote cheap on, if you're trying to save money? What is that sort of middle ground where, hey, this is the right kind of steak to be doing at the house that's maybe a little more economical? Wow, that's a tough question. Um, I would say no if I, if no, I was going to... He's torn. You know why he's torn? Because yes. he wants why? to tell you about the greatest steak on earth, but this man has offered me money to never tell anyone ever about a sirloin culotte. So, <laughs> with, with, with that being said, <laughs> I would exactly, assume... Do you if deny you, that accusation, No, sir, I do but. not deny that accusation. But at the end of the day, <laughs> if I had to spend money on a cheaper cut of meat, I would always go with the tenderloin for me because... It's always going to be tender. Those animals are not going to intermuscularly deposit fat in a tenderloin per se as much anyway because the muscle. It's going to be very tender with some salt and pepper, some butter and garlic poured over it. The tenderloin, if I was going to pick the cheapest steak that was not upper third choice or prime, that was lower third choice, I'd pick a tenderloin. That would be my assumption. That would be my advice is a tenderloin. Dusty, do you agree? I, I, well, I think it's a little unfair to, to uh, confine that discussion to just steaks. Uh, we've got so many other cuts that are so great. I cook two very, not to brag, but I'm fixing to brag, so get a deep seat and get ready. <laughs> but but I cook two excellent, I smoked two excellent briskets this this uh, 4th of July weekend. And, and I went to a place that Matt wouldn't very be, be very happy with that I went to. And, <laughs> and, and I searched around in the bin for a little while and, and found the ones that I wanted, but those were not. They they might have been low choice briskets, but that stuff that we're going to cook low and slow. There are techniques Absolutely, that we can yeah. use to to definitely yeah. improve that. And I'm I'm concerned that in this country we don't we're with the foodie culture. We have more people that want to learn how to cook, and that's great. And that's been really good for us because there are certain cuts of beef that are excellent to go out there and throw on the grill. And those higher quality meats, like you get there at local yokel, those are. You don't marinate those. You put a little salt and pepper on them, throw up your hands, holler time, and throw them on the grill. But I think the more we learn to do with those lower cost cuts of meat, like a brisket or a pot roast or or a flat iron steak or things like that, opens us up to so much bigger market and so many other people that can enjoy and and uh, and get that nutrition well, out of the beef. I'm gonna completely disagree with Ian, which happens on a regular basis. So <laughs> I do it almost daily. Um, it's a lot of he did almost on a daily basis. Says that that the tenderloin. I, I used to say, "Oh, a tenderloin is a tenderloin," and then. You know, I've get to go to a lot of hotel banquet rooms and have tenderloins that suck. <laughs> the whole recent Steak 101 came to 18 cuts of beef, right? Yeah. Well, I, I created Steak 101 because full carcass butcher shop, I've got to get rid of the whole animal. 
80% of the animal is not filet, is not strip, is not ribeye. So we've got all these other great things to talk about. So that's why we developed Steak 101 because like, hey, we invented this steak out of the chuck flaps called a McKinney steak. No, nah, I'm not going to. No, just give me a ribeye. Tasting whoa, is whoa, whoa. believing, right? You're talking about Tasting the McKinney cut? believing. Oh, I shouldn't have mentioned that one. The McKinney cut is the greatest steak in the history of the planet. Right. It's a cube. It's like a long cube, and you just flip one side, one side, one side, one side, and you're done. It's sides. the most tender, delicious steak I've ever had. What, what is that? It's, uh, so we, we we had these Wagyu carcasses, and you're trying to get as much steak as you can because every day at the butcher shop back then, we were out of ribeyes by 2 o'clock. I've got all this other stuff. So we're looking at this one particular muscle thought, man, that may not be a steak on a regular cow, but on a Wagyu, that looks amazing. So we, we started playing around, and we fabricated that, and it's kind of shaped like a big, fat number one. Yeah. And as a joke at the time, McKinney was the number one place in America to live, so we called it the McKinney Steak. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then so then we've got the sirloin culottes, you know, out of the chuck. We've got, got the, the chuck eye, which is the ribeye muscle, but it goes over to the chuck. A lot of retail stores call those a Delmonico. Uh, we've got a, a little eight ounce muscle that there's only two of in, a, in an animal called a bistro filet. It's a terrace major. So we can go a little bit down the chart. A bistro filet, even on a Wagyu. Man, I, I, can't, I can't afford Wagyu. How about $10? I'll change your life. Give me 10 to 12 bucks. I'll send you home with a Wagyu steak that you're going to love. Oh, my God. Bistro filet. Yeah. Dude, right. I've got so I've, you, I've you got can't. Spinalis from you guys, too. Oh, that's don't the, tell that's, these people about Spinalis. That's incredible. The, that's the best part of the ribeye. And, like, me and my wife are going to split a ribeye. I'm like, here you go, honey. Yeah, you, you, you take your part. I'll I'm take mine. I'm taking the cherry off the top of the yeah. sundae. <laughs> go ahead and have the ice cream. So right. you can buy it and straight ben, up. And you can sell it to your wife as I'm giving you the center cut ribeye. <laughs> and that <laughs> sounds very good. Right. And then you get to have the Spinalis and say you don't want that. I'm protecting you from the fat right, right? Yeah. Well, that's why like ian that. talks to customers a lot that that was <laughs> something against. I, so, I want to bounce back real quick skin to something yeah. you said I, I take a little bit of issue with with the way you talked about that we need to cut back on meat consumption in this country. okay i agree with that um thanks matt i'm i, I was shocked i'm glad i was standing up when you pounds said that. per year should be the average consumption. Um, gotta get those numbers up those are rookie numbers right so a lot of vegans I, out I, there we got to make up some ground i don't think that uh that that we really have a meat problem in this country. I think what we mainly have is a starch and sugar problem in this country. If you look Maybe at a steak or even a twenty percent fat hamburger, a quarter pound of that, there's what a hundred and fifty or two hundred calories in that, madam. Right. I remember that yeah. off the top of my head, right? It's a calories in, calories out world. It's biochemistry and, and and physics. That's how it works. If you look at the bun and the French fries and the quadruple mucho grande Two hundred and forty two ounce Dr. Pepper that you bought with that hamburger, mm-hmm. the patty ain't the problem. Right. And these I, I these guys make things fat for a living. Okay, that that's their job. They make things fat for a living, and you do it, you don't do it with protein. No, it's you do calories. It with carbohydrates. It's carbohydrates. It's calories. Yeah. And calories. I guess what my per, what, what I'm trying to hint at there is this idea that we have this i you know this outlook on food with okay, give me my steak and you take your steak. But I think we always we generally at least I know I do we eat beyond what we should be eating no matter what it is that's in front of us we Portion generally tend to overeat all the time sure. and so what my point was you can buy and uh, spend a little bit more money on a steak and just look at it as you're going to divvy it up a little bit more because a lot of families go oh I can't, there's four of us I can't buy four steaks you don't necessarily need to you just have this idea that everyone's going to eat their own individual steak and Quite honestly, you don't have to do that portion-wise. Right. That's a way that you can spend a little bit more money, get a higher quality uh, cut or, or a higher quality level of food, 
but just people's perception is, well, this is theirs, this is his, this is his, and this is mine. You don't have to do it that way. Well, I ain't that kind of doctor, but I'll act like I am anyway. <laughs> but eating to satiety is a whole different deal than eating until you're injured. And, right. and we kind of have a culture in this country of, of yeah. you know, if you go eat Mexican food, if you don't, if you don't feel like you've, you have some sort of major <laughs> yeah. intestinal distress before you walk out of the restaurant, just wasn't a good night. Right. So I think we have to work away from that. Why do bit. I have to eat an entire thing of chips before my meal? Arrives? I'm trying to rock a deuce in the restaurant. That's <laughs> <laughs> my goal. All right. Uh, let's room. reset Making here, room. Skid. Let's yeah. reset and let everybody know who we have in the house. Okay. So I got my buddy Ian Hastings of Cargill. Uh, Cargill, Ian, you told me that is the biggest family-owned company in the world, correct? Yeah, we're north of 150,000 employees. Uh, we're in 70 countries and regions. And our goal as a company is to provide safe, nutritious products to the entire world. We're not just based here in the United States. We're not based in Canada. I heard you talk on the show the other day after you had dinner at my house just understanding here in the United States, it's a billion meals a day. And Think it's about a billion that. years, billion meals tomorrow. And the fact that you have a perishable item that we have to produce year round that shows up at your grocery store, we may have some different ideas about how stuff is produced, but it is very impressive that your grocery store is stocked every day yes and knowing that that stuff yeah. goes bad every 14 days and the people in production agriculture care about the earth they care about the environment they care about the animals that that's their life and i think it's important to understand when you start talking about producers that produce this food whether that's your farmers your ranchers your beef producers they truly care yeah. about those animals they care about the earth because sustainability is the only way we move forward okay uh we also have here uh matt hamilton from local yokel not the largest family-owned company but, <laughs> but family but a good family company. how many kids do you have i, I have seven seven he's seven, trying to become just the kids. biggest family ever <laughs> uh local yokel is a great spot and we also have uh with cargill as well dr dusty abney and i want to hit back on what ian was saying because i find this so interesting what is one of the Lim or uh, hurdles that you guys have to deal with to help the world uh, or help help a billion meals a day being produced. What is one of the one of y'all's obstacles in making sure that that happens in a healthy, proper fashion? Well, our biggest obstacle is almost always going to be the weather. Uh, in agriculture, we are completely and totally at the mercy of the weather. So the next time we get into a, a dry period, if you live here in the Metroplex and and your lawn starts turning a little bit brown and your your neighborhood association tells you that you can only water on odd and even day, that's kind of a pain in the butt. If you're reliant on that grass as a food source for your animals and they are your livelihood, it's not a pain in the butt. It's a death knell to your family's entire uh, money and economical scheme. Right. And right. so that's a huge hurdle. And, and one of the things that I do uh, as a nutritionist is to look at what your resource base looks like, uh, look what we need to put with it to get to your goals and get there efficiently. And, and to piggyback on Ian's point there from the welfare standpoint, I, I hear a lot about animal welfare on the internet and on, on the television, radio, and that sort of thing. And, and uh, productive animals are happy animals and vice versa. Yeah. I'll also tell you that there there's even the grouchiest meanest old rancher that would shoot you in the kneecap for seven put on his place he still gets a little teared up when a calf gets born on his place he mm. wouldn't tell anybody that yeah but those guys love those animals and they love what they do nobody retires from production agriculture they die out of it wow. and that's by choice wow. they love this industry and they want to be here and they want to produce 
the safest, most wholesome food supply in the world. All right. I want to tell you guys where my love of steaks and local yokel and the love of grilling and, and getting out there and barbecues galore, et cetera, where it has me now. I'm at the crossroads. I called Skin about this the other day. I was like, dude, I think we need to buy a whole cow. <laughs> I'm in the <laughs> process of getting meat freezers in our garages and splitting a cow. And so how much can you really save when you go that route? So you, you can save quite a bit because uh, when you have a retail service counter, there are waste associated with that. There are labor costs associated with that. The majority of any retail sales happen on Saturday, Sunday, and Friday. So if you buy half of a cow or a quarter of a cow from me or any butcher shop, we're going to do that work on Tuesday, Wednesday, Monday, and there's some labor efficiencies. There's a lot of labor efficiencies. It's a pretty significant savings. Surprisingly enough, I talk more people out of a half of a cow into a quarter of a cow and out of a quarter of a cow into a box of beef because I want you to only have enough meat to last your family about six months. I really not looking for you to survive till till Jesus comes back. Right. The beef in your, in your, in your garage. Right? And why? Because I hear the sad story all the time. Matt, we... My freezer, I don't, it went out. The the GFI in the garage tripped. And it's a sad thing to throw away hundreds of dollars of meat. So, and we want you to have a fresh product, but there, yeah, absolutely, you can get some efficiencies. We'll, we'll split up a half a beef amongst four guys a lot. I and mean, it's a little extra work, but that, that lets you get the savings, but split it up amongst two or three guys, four guys. Considering the GFI problem you had on your microwave that one time. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Good advice. Was, was that trying to recharge outage. your iPhone off of that thing you saw on yeah. the internet? Yeah. Yes, yes, exactly. I'd exactly. tell you, too, that, that talking to somebody, no matter if you're a producer out in the field that's a cow-calf producer or if you're a consumer, I don't know that we reach out and talk to experts enough. You know, people ask Dr. Google a lot of questions, <laughs> and, and you'll get an answer that's pretty fast. That doesn't <laughs> mean that the answer is right. And so the thing I think of there, I go back to what I just talked about earlier. If you get a half of a beef from Matt, but you don't cook brisket or, or you don't do a lot of stew meat and that sort of thing, um, that stuff's going to go to waste. It's going to sit at the bottom of your freezer. You're going to pick the cool lot off of it, or you're going to go in there and grab the ribeye, and that stuff's going to sink lower and lower in your freezer. So having somebody like Matt to go to to say, hey, here's what I like to eat. What do you recommend yeah. that I do? I think is, is really a good idea. Uh, okay, so I want you to tell the story, Matt, because I tried to retell and I t- I'm told it horribly. Where did fajitas come from? What is the story of fajitas? So the, the hot skillet fajitas goes back to a, to a Mexican food restaurant in Houston called Tia's. And Tia, as far as, as the meat research I've done, knows, she invented hot skillet fajitas. And she did that because she realized that that inside skirt steak has got a little chew to it, got a little bite, uh, but it was really cheap. So you go back to the 60s and 70s, this was 25 cents a pound, 30 cents a pound beef so tia's like hey you know what i could probably charge someone like three bucks for fajitas uh, on a hot skillet so she figured out she could cook par cook it grill it put it on a sizzling cast iron skillet with onions peppers pico de gallo and three tortillas and charge a lot of money for it so that did really well for her a a regional mexican food chain called el chico's Hmm. picked that up and they took hot skillet fajitas regional and then Applebee's and Chili's took it nationwide in the 90s, and they took the demand for skirt steak, cheap, throw it away, throw it in the grind, get rid of it somewhere. It's now more expensive than sirloin on a wholesale trading basis, right? Because a restaurant, it's a hard sell to get $16.99 for a four-ounce, three-ounce sirloin, but 
$16.99 for a quarter ounce of beef fajitas. Wow. Right? So that, that's kind of how beef fajitas happen. I told Daniel Vaughn with Texas Monthly Barbecue a few years ago, I said, you need to write an article, brisket's the next fajita meat. He's like, oh, you think? So, so there's this nationwide, now even international crave for Texas barbecue. Well, what happened with fajitas is the East Coast, West Coast restaurants cost living's higher, cost of food is higher. They can afford to charge more for a dish, therefore pay more for meat. So now we're, we've seen brisket that used to wholesale for the low twos is now up in the threes hmm. because of the popularity and demand. Every cow I've ever seen has two briskets. Now, I don't know. Maybe maybe y'all have seen some have more. But there's two briskets. <laughs> oh, oh, only, only two, have. Matt. There's, there's <laughs> only two. Maybe with implants, four. But uh, they aren't <laughs> pectoral muscles. But uh, there's huge demand now for brisket, and you've seen the market respond. And that's why brisket right. is like that. Last one. When you cook a brisket, are you supposed to go fat up or fat down? Fat up, fat up. Fat up. No brainer. I mean, I, I don't even know why there's a discussion. <laughs> nice. I've, I've tried it to get a better bark by going... By going fat down, and I, I was the point was still pretty good, but the flat was really disappointing. Yeah, really disappointing. And and you can have my brisket when you pry it out of my cold dead hand. <laughs> <laughs> that is an ender. Wow! I, Thank I will, you so I will, much. I will put on my come and take a t-shirt and y'all can. <laughs> y'all can come on. That's Doctor Abney. He's Ian Hastings. This is Matt Hamilton uh, from local yokel. Uh, so we much. will blast out the Steak One Hundred and One class yeah. so people can learn about it. that's as much fun as I had on a Saturday in a long long time gentlemen thank you so much for coming for i hope our me. listeners thank got some good education from all of that ben and skin show 105.3 the fan okay picture this it's friday afternoon when a thought hits you i can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or i can hop into my all-new hyundai santa fe and hit the road with available h-track all-wheel drive and three-row seating my whole family can head deep into the wild Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.